Hi, welcome to another episode of Mentorship Military, joined by my sidekick, Paul Martinez. Welcome, Paul. Hey, guys. And on this week's uh, guest, we've got Rachel Jackson, and Rachel Jackson is a co-founder and um, CEO of a company called Tribal, which we're going to get to in a minute. But welcome to the show, Rachel. Appreciate you coming on with us. Thanks for having me. Where's home? Is it Alabama? No, home was, I grew up in several different states, so Colorado, California, and Virginia, and then I, I enlisted out of Virginia. Yeah, and you became an Alabama fan how? Um, well, you know, we moved, I moved to Huntsville, Alabama after the Army, and my husband has his master's from uh, got and you. they pretty much kicked butt, so I <laughs> 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 you know, when when Army has a bad year, I can cheer on Alabama. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they had a very good year this year. This was a Maybe. good year. So in, in terms of like, you know, your reason for going to West Point, what was kind of your motivation and wanting to choose that as your university of choice? Well, I, I actually didn't exactly choose it as my university of choice um because i as i tell a lot of people uh, i kind of got in the back door i didn't even know about the military academy growing up at all and so um i'm what you would call a prodigal teenager so to speak uh my mom actually called the army recruiter on me uh <laughs> so i what yeah yeah, yeah, uh, which I thank God to this day she did because otherwise, um, typically, I mean, typically West Point's not the route though for those you know people that we get calls on as a recruiter. I know, I uh, there was no congress for no congressman who was going to to nominate me. That's for sure. <laughs> but, you know, was, uh, yeah, no, I enlisted um, out of high school, and when I got to uh, AIT, I. Before I went to basic, my uncle, who was a Marine in Vietnam, he said, Rachel, if you can find a way to be an officer, do that. He was not happy that my mom called the recruiter. So, <laughs> What was the uh, MOS that you ended up going into then? Initially? 31, uh, 31 Sierra, Satellite Communications. Okay. So my AIT was at um, Fort Gordon, Georgia. And I met a friend there uh, in my class, and he, he had gotten um, medically deferred. Mm. And so he was reapplying to West Point, and I was like, what is that? Like, that sounds cool, I'll do that too. So um, I got uh, what's called a command referral uh, and accepted into the prep school. And then if you graduate from the prep school, then you get an automatic appointment. I've definitely heard of that route, but how long from the time that you actually applied, and were, were you in AIT when you applied? Mm -hmm. So yeah. how, how long was it from the time that you applied before you heard you know, that you were accepted and boom, you were off the prep school? Yeah, for me, so my MOS training was like 10 months. So I was there for probably about a year, right? And then, um, but at the end of that year, I was at um, prep school. So you didn't so like PCS to a unit and then the unit gets you and goes, oh, great. Okay, you just got here, you know, issued you TA-50, whatever, and boom, you're out of our, you know, you're gone. That Right. Yeah, okay. No, I went straight to the prep school. Well, that's good that they timed it that way. However, it ended up working out. You end up getting there. So you end up spending, I think, what, a year in prep school before you actually get to get mm -hmm. into the, yeah. How was that? The prep school was awesome. Uh, it definitely helped prepare me for West Point. I, my math was not the strongest, and so it uh, definitely helped uh, prepare me for that. So I'm I'm thankful for that time. And then uh, getting into West Point Yeah. Was, was good 
I had somebody that we knew whose son went to the um, Air Force Academy, but his brother then went through the prep prep school route and stuff and um, never, never quite panned out. And, <laughs> and, and cause I think it was just still a little bit too much, you know, latitude that he had and stuff partying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a little you can't hang yourself they give you enough rope to hang yourself <laughs> right right yeah, i've heard i've heard that story yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. a couple people but they don't they, and you have some rope at west point to hang yourself too i mean obviously you, you can make bad choices wherever you go but um you know hope, hopefully you're more set up for success at some point in time <laughs> so when when did you end up graduating uh from west point was it like 2003 i think it was or something like it it was yes and and what did you end up majoring in uh, i ended up majoring in physics and nuclear engineering what i know right <laughs> wow. it's, a, it's a far cry <laughs> from <Wow. where> I, <laughs> but then i give all credit to uh, just the amazing teachers, uh, the, the instructors there are awesome. And, um, my classmates, I had, uh, four really good buddies in physics and we just like all helped each other out. So I told my dad, I wanted to major in history. And he said, Rachel, you did not go to an engineering school <laughs> to get a non-engineering degree. <laughs> so <laughs> I took that as a personal challenge and decided to pick the hardest one that I could find. Uh, so that's what I did. And, and um, I remember my our physics department head, Colonel Winkle, he was teaching us a class. And um, so I was class of 2003. And he got up and he gave us our, our test scores. And before he gave them back, he said, I have good news and I have bad news. He said, you, you know, good news is you guys are definitely the most fun class I've ever had. Um, the bad news is you're not the smartest. <laughs> so I, oh, my God. Did he really? <laughs> He did. And then actually it was really funny is um, I, I was uh, talking to a CFO about tribal for his company and he's a 2004 grad and he's, he was a physics major as well. So I hope he doesn't ever listen to this cause I totally played it off, but he was like, you know, we were talking about physics. He was like, yeah, it was so easy. You know, we told the instructors, you know, like they had to make this hard. And I, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, they probably totally dumbed it down for me. So <laughs> he's like, he's, he was really smart. So, well, to get engineering physics and a nuclear engineering degree. Uh, yeah. I, I don't even know if you've dumbed it down, if I'd be able to get either of those degrees, especially the nuclear engineering. Holy cow. Well, that's what I, I try to encourage people when they're picking their majors or something to major in is like, and you know, a lot of times when you get out of um, college or, or wherever your training is, it's more about uh, showing people that you have a good work ethic and that you can learn hard things and tackle hard challenges. And then you can figure out what you want to do and, and what you're passionate about, what your purpose is, um, you know, but pick a hard major, <laughs> like <laughs> do that, you know, like it's, far more uh, I think it, it results in far more uh, traction with employers so I'm guessing you've never worked as a nuclear physicist God no okay. <laughs> but I, told, I told my husband I said because um, they took us to a three mile uh, nuclear reactor you know the, the nuclear power plant up, up in uh, I think it's in New York and um, 
the nuclear engineers there, and this was um, 18, 19 years ago, they made, they were saying $800,000 a year. And, um, uh, but there were, there were, yeah, there were two nuclear engineers at the reactor plant, you know, and they had, there had to be one of them there at all times. So it was like, you know, super stressful job. And anyways, I, I taught my husband that and he was like, you should totally be a nuclear engineer. And I was like, nope, <laughs> not ever going to happen. Oh my God. Uh, so we're going to, I'm going to write that down so I can come back <laughs> to that later. Cause, cause then I'm going to ask you, why did you take the hard route? Yeah. So we're going to have to, to go down that at some point for sure. So after, after West Point or around that time frame with graduation, what what path why did you end up picking the path that you end up going on to was that something you did right after graduation or did you go some other route and then apply uh we're talking we apache talk, you know talking about flight school going to flight school yeah. no yeah so I, I was uh lucky enough to get aviation as my branch um out of west point and then um went to officer basic at fort Rucker and flight school and was lucky to get one of the two Apache slots that our class got. You know, the cl- classes get your slots based on the needs of the Army, and, you know, the availability and stuff. So we had two slots for the Apache for my class. And um, so uh, that was my dream, and I, I got it. So uh, my at the time, you know, my best friends at West Point were all going infantry. And, uh, you know, it was kind of this, like, hardcore club or whatnot you know and I was like well I want to be a badass so I'm like the 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 biggest baddest thing I could think of was I'll be an Apache pilot <laughs> so getting Apache isn't that also one of those things as far as getting designation of which one to select it has to do with class ranking mm-hmm. yeah so mm-hmm. you must have done very well to be able to walk in there of one of two slots and pick it up I did pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, are we bragging? Are, am, I, am I supposed to be bragging on myself? No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll let you go. No. Yeah, no, I, I did I did all right, yeah. Yeah. And so after you ended up uh, graduating from flight school, did you get to select where you went to as far as unit, or was it needs of the Army at that point? Um, You can put in your, your choices, but it's still needs of the Army. You know, uh, I actually had chosen Fort Bragg um, mm-hmm. because my mom was there um, and I was all set to, to be stationed there. And then about a month before graduation, they changed my orders to Fort Hood. So um, I ended up at Fort Hood. Dan, you were with the 1st Attack Battalion, 1st Armored Cavalry Brigade there. And mm-hmm. you ended up deploying, I guess, to Iraq in 2006. Yep. And, uh, Tell us about that. Were you over there at that time frame, Paul? No, I was in Afghanistan in 06. Okay. Yep. And 7, and 8, <laughs> and 10, and 11, and 12. And then that was it for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's why I, I like, at some point, so I did deploy to Iraq. Um, but before I, I deployed, I started to have these, like, really weird kind of um symptoms uh it, it, like when i would pre-flight the helicopter it'd, it'd feel like i was crawling on broken glass um like i have tremors and you know di- just different things um unexplained really unexplainable and they still can't really explain it to me 
Um, but when I deployed to Iraq and started flying out there, uh, I actually started blacking out. <laughs> it turns out they don't like pilots to do that. Yeah, so, you're not supposed to do that while you're so flying. There's a certain point. There's a there's a line in sucking it up and you know driving on and then becoming a danger to the mission. So, um, you know that was actually a really hard thing to go through. Um, was you know kind of getting grounded, uh, sent back stateside, um, and you know I think a lot of soldiers, a lot of military people. Uh, I, I think it's in our DNA really to kind of want to push through the pain and, and and you feel like less than when all of a sudden you can't do what you were trained to do um and and you know I mean we know at least when I was in how we talked about people who couldn't cut it um I mean let's be honest um we were kind of hard on on each other and um and sometimes there's you know slackers who who need to be cut, you know, but, um, I definitely learned a lot of, um, humility and compassion and empathy for people. Um, cause I was one of those, you know, top performers who, you know, all of a sudden couldn't cut it anymore. And, um, so it was a very big humbling experience. Um, and so during my transition period, um, I was actually, sent back to Fort Hood. Um, the rear D commander, he, he did not want me coming into work, uh, because he didn't want them to figure out that I could be rear D commander and he could go to Iraq. So, <laughs> oh my God, wow. you're kidding me. <clears throat> so, um, basically for, you know, I was going through the medical discharge process by myself, like completely alone. I was completely isolated. Um, had like no friends, no family around me. And I uh, really uh, went through a very dark period of um, kind of depression and transition and wondering, you know, like, what's next? Uh, what's my civilian story? You know, God, where are you? What are you doing? Um, uh, how do I put Apache pilot on a resume? You know, like, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. And where do I go next? So, well, was your health condition still kind of a mystery at this time, too? So you didn't really know what was wrong with you either? Yeah, and I was like, uh, you know, on one hand, you, you're, like, terrified that you're going to die, um, you know, because you don't know, like, what's going on. So, and and so, yeah, but at that point, you know, like, the Army actually did really good for me in the medical process. Um, uh, I got, I saw a lot of experts. I got a lot of answers, and then there was a lot of non-answers <laughs> But they, they told me, you know, like, hey, we can only explain, like, 10% of what goes on with your brain. So, you know, we can tell you if it's going to kill you. But <laughs> so at least I didn't think I was going to die anymore. Um, well, but You found out during this time frame, I guess it was around this time frame, that there were brain lesions and nerve damage. And, and that's what yeah, you described? Yeah. I mean, they found things like brain lesions and, and nerve damage and, and stuff like that. Do you think that was caused by the helicopter or where do you think that, or was it something that maybe happened even prior to that, you know, or your military service or do they, do they even know you're kind of shaking your head like, oh, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so that's the part that they couldn't even explain. No, they can't explain that. So, uh, yeah, that, that's, uh, it's, that's unex unexplainable, I guess. So, um, oh, well, you just, pick yourself up and 
do the best you can. You know, I did a lot uh, nutritionally and and exercise wise to really kind of strengthen myself and and you know manage things going forward and just do the best I can. Um, and and sometimes you just have to get to that point, get some answers and adapt and overcome. Was it during this time frame that you said you didn't have like you know a lot of the support and element? So you didn't at that time frame, you weren't married, didn't, Mm-mm. weren't dating your now current husband and all of that. So yeah, that, that probably was a very challenging time because you're going through this with a, a lot of unanswered questions, the unknown, and it's already tough enough when you have to make a transition. But what we've always found in talking to veterans, um, I mean, I had a choice. I know, you know, Paul was medically discharged, but when you talk to people who are medically discharged, that transition is very different because, you know, most of us have a, an opportunity to um, make choices leading to the transition, whereas those who are medically discharged, you guys, you, you may not have very much time before you're now out and you're having yeah. to make living and, you know, you happen to make a living, you happen to work somewhere, figure out what your, like you said, your passion, your purpose, the, a lot of unknowns there. Yeah, and and you know, and that's some, that's one of the reasons why I share my story with that is because I know that there are lots of transitioning, you know, military members and the thing that happens is like a lot of times we had a tribe around us and then all of a sudden we don't and you're kind of out there um you know, like wondering what's next and a lot of unknowns and whatnot. Um I will say that I think over the years the army especially has gotten really good at um you know there's lots of programs lots of veterans out there doing lots of transition things you know so there's uh there is help out there if if people want help figuring out what's next well there's a lot of organizations out there too nonprofits that have come online to to really help with you know doing your resume outside of just what the um, the career program and stuff that's set to help through the transition, you know. Yeah, I see them all yeah. LinkedIn now. I can spot them a mile away. You can, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you can they're tell like, they went through the training, yep. Yeah. But yeah, I'm like, wait, you're an XO. How are you? <laughs> like, <laughs> CMO. <laughs> yeah, yeah, most definitely. So, so uh, when you got out, though, you, you didn't go right into, you You know, you talked about some of the things that – um with your background and experience, not necessarily with the flight side of it, although you could have gone into aviation, you also could have gone the nuclear route. Instead, you started more of an, a magazine or was an editor-in-chief. And Tell us about well, that. Yeah, actually, there was a little bit of a journey to get there. So um, I actually got a call from my physics professor when I was getting discharged, and he said, hey, Rachel, I just got a call uh, from a, a SAIC looking for a junior officer getting out with a degree in physics and nuclear engineering. <laughs> it's like, he's like, I only know one. So, oh God, so I got God. a job at SAIC. <laughs> so that was an answer to prayer one. <laughs> because, um, and the timing, there, how in the world? I mean, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there, uh, I, I learned at SAIC, I, I developed a, a love for entrepreneurialism. I started to learn business, you know. Um, but then I went and got uh, hired at the government. My government customer wanted me to come work for them. So uh, I went to go work for the, for the government, and I was on the, the fast track to uh, government security, which is the antithesis of business um, and <laughs> entrepreneurialism. <laughs> but um, 
I like that. Right. Uh, so, and you know, I was, I was, you know, married, uh, kid and, you know, kind of had my life all together. Uh, then my mom ended up, she passed away, um, in 2010. And at that point in time, I felt a really strong call on my life to figure out how to, um, connect with people and connect them to hope, um, and to help and to purpose, in their stories, no matter what their stories were. Um, you know, when I, and this was a long journey, you know, it was my story before that, you know, too, when you're in the military, I mean, we lost pilots, lost friends, uh, classmate blown up by an IED, you know, like my, well, my best friend, one of my best friends from physics, he was hit by an IED. He survived, thank God. But, um, you know, it's just, you go through a lot. And then also, a lot of times in the military, you know, you're surrounded by people who have a lot of hard backgrounds, a lot of hard stories, you know. Um, and so that kind of painted the, um, you know, the backdrop for this for this call. But then when I got into corporate America, I realized man, everybody's got a story. Everybody's going through something. Um, and my mom, till the day she died, she struggled with um, depression and anxiety and panic attacks and, and addiction. Um and, and all that kind of stuff. And so I really wanted to figure out how we could at scale um, and very effectively reach into people's lives and connect them to this idea that they're not alone in their stories, that there is hope, um, that there are a lot of resources. Um, many of them go underutilized um, out there intended for, for their help. And that ultimately, I believe that our stories that we live give us a bigger purpose in life and that you know, um, if we can step outside of the story that we might be walking in and think about how to be a positive impact in other people's stories, then that can totally shift the perspective on what you're going through. So uh, to that end, um, I started a magazine and uh, we raised $7,000 in a Kickstarter campaign. That was like the beginning of my business experience, as well as my technology um, experiences. <laughs> like I had a Blackberry at the time, you know. Uh, Blackberry, so, I remember those. I had one of those as well. Uh, yeah, looking for that little red light to blink, which meant you had to do something. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, f I felt God really telling me that you know we, it would be through stories that we would connect people to relationships, and then that relationships would move people to action. And so, I started a blog. Realized there's 600 million blogs with a new one created every half second, and nobody cared what I had to say. Um, so then I started a magazine, a print magazine, uh, reached out to people in my church and said, Hey, would you guys just share stories of hope? Um, and they did. And we got picked up by Barnes and Noble and books a million with our first issue. Wow. Printed for three years, um, by the grace of God, cause it is expensive and not a good business idea. Do not do that. Um, but, uh, and then about five years ago, we decided to figure out how to build a digital platform, um, one that that would be able to compete with the noise of the rest of the world and be able to um, really help leaders um, and people who, who wanted to make an impact cut through the noise and actually connect with the people they wanted to, to reach. And that's how Tribal came to be. Yeah, but in between that, though, weren't you also founder and CEO of Community Journal? Was that... Was that yeah. like uh, what uh, is that the Barnes and Noble period of it, or is that something else that came after um, the work that you had done on Shattered Magazine? So, 
Shattered Magazine and Community Journal, both storytelling platforms, all done by the my parent company, I guess, Shattered Media. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just the Community Journal was was based on this premise that uh, I wanted to help communities figure out how to focus on their good news stories um, and give give platform and, and voice to the the nonprofits and the the leaders and the businesses who who are doing great things. Um, because I feel what you focus on is what you're going to propagate more of. Yeah. So in current media, uh, the focus and the, and really the the reward goes to clickbait and to like the worst of humanity. And so you know, uh, if we stop paying attention to that crap, then we stop giving it power. Um, and so you know, in I just want to find a way to give people perspective on like, hey, we live in like the most peaceful time in the history of the world, you know, like. It's not that bad out there. Like, yeah, we all have problems and there are things going on, but man, if you watch the mainstream media, you can really get sucked into this negative cycle where it's all falling apart. And that's just simply not the case. It's not the case. You know, when you started thinking about tribal you were looking for this place and correct me if i'm wrong where people could come together and and really create meaningful relationships and build hope and purpose and you know you were doing that kind of with the magazine and trying to at least demonstrate that you know people are going through some of the same challenges and i think through our uh, platform here you know even at like mentors from military that's a lot of what when people listen to these episodes they're gaining from is that they hear stories like yourself and they realize that, Oh my gosh, somebody else is going through the exact same thing or something very similar. And and you recognize that, but you, you took it to a different level because you utilized the, the knowledge and experiences that you had through that shattered magazine um, and the people that you work with at that time frame of how you wanted to then channel your efforts towards what you ended up coming uh, up to here, you know, now, what you created with Tribal. Right, yeah, no, Shattered, everything has built up to this. And what I realized with Shattered was the power of stories to cross any barrier, Um, no matter what the demographic, no matter what barriers between us. We all have stories in common. It doesn't matter how rich or poor you are, you have stories in common with other people. It doesn't matter where you come from. We we share those those commonalities and and I wonder, you know, what would it be like if people instead of just like judging right off the gate based on you know the book the cover whatever it is, what if you ask yourself like I wonder what their story is, and instead of being so freaking offended so quickly by everything, what if you said I wonder where they're coming from, you know. Um, I, I just feel like we, I believe we have far more in common than we have different. And I think that current media outlets, including social networks, have emphasized our differences and rewarded the division. And we're looking to figure out, okay, how can we unite us about around what we have in common? You know, what what are the ties that bind? What, where are the intersection points? And can we just give each other enough grace and mercy to have your own stories and like, and, you know, so that's that's kind of my perspective on it. Um, we, we give far too much power to people in social networks, this whole cancel culture and everything else where, you know, 5% of people probably produce 95% of the content in social networks. And you're like, why are you giving it so much power? What does it, you know, like, why are you kowtowing to what these people say? This doesn't it doesn't matter, you know? Like, <laughs> And then it's becoming harder, I think, too, to find the right 
place to listen to at least hear a story that is not focused on something that political or, you know, or, or is going to try to influence my behavior or my way of thinking. All, I, all I'd rather do is listen to a, a podcast or, you know, pick up a, a magazine or listen to a radio show or whatever to perhaps be entertained or to, you know, strengthen my knowledge about something that I'm passionate about. Um, and, and you're right. I think there's a lot of negativity, you know, well, that, yeah. Also, I think it, there's a lot of platforms feeding more of what you're already predisposed to think or what you you want to know. Well, that's and, what you're looking for, right? That's what, yeah. yeah. And one of our goals, one of our goals at Chival is to help open up people's minds to expand your thinking as far as like maybe trying to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes, you know, understand. And, and, and Chival is very focused on relationships um, and on creating and helping individuals thrive and communities thrive so we're not we're not writing about the random interests that you might have like we're, we're actually trying to get people to share their personal stories um their their wisdom their you know their life experiences uh their reasons for hope help and purpose um and then that's why we exist we're we're, we're not an open network to just connect the world we exist for a purpose um and that is to make life more meaningful so, like, we call Tribal the Meeting Network. It's a social network, but it's meant for uh, more meaningful interactions. So, back in the day, we'd call those chat rooms, right? You know, we would, we'd go into a chat room and we might bring up a topic or there's a subject that's there that everybody's then going to join in on and offer their opinions or carry on a conversation within that. And in a lot of cases, those started off being really healthy and good because, the idea was to at least share the same, find that you share the same thoughts with other people or people would give you something to challenge or for you to think about. But yet again, you know, the cancer enters the room and all of a sudden things start changing and now, you know, they can become toxic. Well, yeah, yeah you're, you're fighting with some stranger on the internet over an opinion that you would never have heard in the first place. That doesn't matter to you. That's <laughs> it's, that's sort of the way I view social media. I'm like, it, it's nice. It's entertaining. It's a good platform for a lot of things, but to get offended by it, why would you care? Why right. would I care what Bill in Tucson, Arizona, 16 States away from me has to say about some random interest of mine or whatever it may be. And it's, but you can become so inundated when it's right there in your pocket. So it sounds like you're kind of doing the opposite of that. Like he, in social media, it's so myopic. It's right. like, these are my friends. This is what I like. These are the things that I agree with. And then you have a whole news feed full of that or story feed full of that. And then it's just as soon as anything deviates, it's a justification for outrage. Yeah. <laughs> and and then that's internalized, right? Like you, you feel those emotions, even though it's just you looking at the comment section and you're wasting energy. Yeah. And I would I got sucked into the comment section. I mean, I I was totally one of those people who was like, I'm just here for the comments, you know, kind of grab <laughs> oh, my yeah. popcorn and see what's going on. So oh, we all I, have. Yeah, no, I I got off of Facebook just because uh, it it was sucking. It's just there wasn't anything good. But but I, you're right. We are trying to do the opposite of that. We're trying to retrain people on what social networks can do because the tool itself can be used. The the concept of a scalable platform where people can connect and relationships into resources um, in scalable ways is so powerful. Um, we're just doing it for a different purpose and in a different way. 
Um, and and I, I call it, we kind of equate it to this concept of being a plus one. So um, and my friend Jeff Healy, I have to give credit to him. He's a Navy grad. He, uh, he said to me, he, he said, you know, um, in, a, in a binary world, there's zeros and ones. And if you equate it to littering, uh, a zero would be somebody who litters and a one would be somebody who doesn't litter. But in a ternary or trinary world, uh, uh, there's negative ones, zeros, and plus ones. And equate that to litter, littering, and negative ones would be people who litter, zeros would be people who don't litter, but plus ones would be people who pick it up. And I was like, that is so powerful. I mean, I explained that to my 11-year-old kid who watched teenagers throw a cup out in the parking lot at Zaspies, and he's like... I should be a plus one. And he got up, got out and, and went and picked up the cup. I mean, it's so simple. We'll apply that to social networks. Um, negative ones would be people who are trolls or do, you know, the negative things on social networks. Zeros would be people who come only to consume and or the ones who say, I just don't do social networking. And then plus ones would be the ones who contribute positively to the social networking platforms. And there's so many people that I have talked to or met who are so unbelievably smart and wise and, and great leaders of character who should, whose voices should be heard, whose stories should be heard, but they, are, they don't share them or they're not on social media. They say, I just don't do social networks. There's nothing for me. And I don't blame them because the current platforms don't exist to highlight wisdom um, or elevate leadership. Um, but my, my call to them is like, okay, don't check out of the technology completely. <laughs> like, you know, we need you to contribute positively. We need people to be plus ones. So tribal is looking for people who are plus ones to come and join, uh, to recruit some of those zeros to become plus ones. And in that, I think we can negate the negative ones and I, just kind of, I, I think, you know, so what I found, especially through even a platform like this and mentorship military is, is because we have such a toxic society and in our veteran community, you know, we love, we talk about this a lot on the show. I say it a lot. We eat our own. And so the first time somebody's showing um, success or, you know, they're speaking, you know, about their, the, the struggles that they went through, or they, they could even be describing a particular story or an event that occurred. There are people that will start paying attention to that and looking for something that isn't right. You know, that I know that. And so of course, like we've shared it, you know, and some even main operators have talked about it. I may have gone through the front door. Paul went through the back door and you went through the window. We all saw things differently on that mission set, same mission, same building, different perspectives. So when I share my story, it's not going to be exactly the same as your story. But as soon as you start tearing me down, the problem is I can't defend myself because more people will latch on to your negativity and that you're killing my story than they probably would believing me that I'm saying you're incorrect. And and that's a bad environment. So I can see where it's becoming more and more challenging to find people who want to put themselves out there, who really want to mentor, who really want to share their story to get, uh, you know, to help others because they're afraid but of that. You know, well, I, mean, I can tell you come to tribal. It's a safe place. And yeah, you know, we, uh, 
we don't allow the like one of our community one of our community standards is if you don't have something nice to say don't say it (laughs) it's it's literally kindergarten uh teaching people how to behave again well i'm going to kind of go down through what is tribal and i'm going to read this off because then i want to kind of pick it and get dive into it because it it stated it's this community and a relation and relationship building platform for organizations that harness the power of storytelling to help leaders and teams build a stronger, more inclusive and resilient teams through empowering resources and stories of hope, help and purpose, both professionally and personally. I state that so, correctly. So you, you have, uh, we booked this podcast a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you have the corporate version <laughs> So we we recently launched our beta test that's open to all users. Um, so it's not just corporate only now, and uh, so it's it's more stated. Tribal is a relationship and community building platform that uses the power of authentic stories to connect people in more meaningful relationships, to practical resources for hope, help, and purpose and to inspire meaningful impact in the world around us. So how does one do that? Like, you know, Facebook originally was a way, you know, especially for me, like when I joined, was really to connect with friends that I and family members that I don't get a chance to see often. And they would maybe share a, um, a photo or, you know, a, a something, you know. But then it got to being where people wanted to host it like a diary. And, and then it went into everything else of especially the people who create Facebook now dumping on me all kinds of information that I didn't even ask for and that I don't even want to read. And to your point, you end up wanting to get away. So when a person comes in the tribal, um, is it that you're trying to build relationships? How How does one go about do that? How does one go about sharing their story? What is the process, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, well, when you first get in there right now, um, everybody, uh, we have uh, exclusive content produced by tribal originals. It's stories. Right now, there's a heavy emphasis towards the military and veteran community because I'll just throw that out there. I feel like we are the perfect um, community to start with um, to help lead our country back to what unites us and, and, and um, back to a place of, of um, you know, focusing on, on building a stronger um a stronger nation. So I, I think veterans and militaries is, is kind of our niche focus right now. So you'll see a lot of content geared towards that. But uh, everybody gets access to the Tribal Originals ex- exclusive content. So you can come in and read some amazing stories. Um, it is still early, early adopter stage. Um, and so there aren't a lot of people in there yet or a lot of groups, but there's about uh, 15, 20 groups that you can look for to join. You can also create your own group. You can invite your own friends and family. It's a positive, uplifting environment to bring your tribe to. Um, so it's it's similar-esque to Facebook, but it's a very curated, meaningful feed. Mm. Are, is there, are there algorithms or are there um, ways in which you're trying to match similarities between let's say tribes as you you describe them so that you can unite and and show once again that we're not creating silos or certain ways of thinking uh, or or am i getting into the mind manipulation and you don't want to go that far you know yeah no we're not we're not out to manipulate actually we have very 
little algorithms. Mm -hmm. um, we're we're pretty much just an open, you know, tribe right now. Like one, we want to help you connect deeper with your tribes, and because that is what brings meaning to life. The the your tribes, the ones that surround you. We want to help you find other tribes that maybe you know uh, could be beneficial to to your life. But ultimately, we also want us to remember that we are part of one big tribe um, and that we all need to like come together. So there's very few algorithms and any algorithms that we do have will help, help to elevate voices of wisdom um, and leaders of character um, and, and organizations in your community that can, can, that can offer practical resources for help um, and opportunities to give back. So... You know, while we're early in the build, um, I can promise that any algorithms coming forward will be about that. It's not going to be about selling ads because we don't do ads. You know, it's not. It's definitely not about um, getting you addicted to our platform because that's not our business model. That's not what we want to do. We actually want to meet people where they are and reconnect them back into in-person um, relationships and communities. So... Uh, that's, that's what our promise is for algorithms. Now you said in person. So the focus is not necessarily to connect remotely, uh, but as much as you can get face to face to really try to, to promote that opportunity. The most powerful network is one you can meet face to face. Agreed. The yeah. most, the most powerful tribe you can have is the ones that you can have coffee with or go out to dinner with or whatever. So whereas Facebook and other platforms, which I mean, hey, there's a time and a place for it, you know, like if, if you can do it, great, uh, connect with the world. But here's the deal. We're so hyper freaking connected right now that we have no real true connection. Mm -hmm. And what's mm -hmm. happening is people are feeling more isolated and lonely than ever before. You have 89% of Brits ages 16 to 29 saying they find life to be meaningless we know that the number one contributor to a meaningful life is relationships. Britain now has a minister of loneliness because their suicide epidemic is out of control. Think about it over here in America. We hear the number 22 veterans a day all the time, yet nothing we have done program-wise, non-profit-wise, whatever it is, has lowered that number. The number one contributor to us addressing that number is connecting people to tribes is to their sense of community. Rand has done study after study on this for the army. I, you know, to me, it just, it just, it's a little bit of common sense, but we have three out of four Americans who feel very lonely. And this was before coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Three out of four Americans feel very lonely. 30% uh, of millennials said they have zero friends. Um, before coronavirus, 11% of Americans uh, were struggling with some depressive disorder. Um, some some kind of anxiety, panic attacks, suicidal thoughts, depression. Um, now or like November, this 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 statistic came out. Forty point nine percent of Americans. Wow. So th that's a huge increase, and obviously coronavirus had a whole lot to do with it, and then throw into the political crap and the race race um, tension and everything in this country, and and we're just saying, hey, we got to reconnect to what matters. Tribal is not about more connections it's about quality connections it's not about more content it's about quality content it's not about more uh groups more 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 it's about let's figure out how to reconnect to your tribe 
find what matters, take a deep breath. This is not about like being famous. It's not, <laughs> it really is connecting again to a more meaningful life. So it doesn't matter whether you're on active duty or you've made the transition. That's not what this tool is. And so I want to make that very clear because we did talk transition and we talked about your journey, but that's not what this is about. This is truly about connecting mankind, humankind, um, you know, geographically and, and finding more commonality and more good and, and getting rid of all the, the negative aspects of it as much as you can, as much as you can help facilitate that process. It sounds like as much as we can. And, and yeah. I mean, we yeah. have a long way to go, but we're building the foundation and we expect it to grow fast. And the idea is, is like, let's help individuals thrive. Let's help communities thrive. Um, and just try to help the people who want to change the world, cut through the noise and reach the people that they can. So it sounds like this is, locally focused too like you're kind of trying to find people in your immediate geographic area where you can actually meet up with them it will be i mean the the, okay. the as it grows right now we have 200 members on so it's, it's okay. very hard to get that but yes there will be a hyper local focus so connecting people to local resources and to local relationships is super important is is there a tool or something that you guys use to help? Um, like, do you assign? Like, if I came in, Rachel, and I said, you know, I'm coming into this. I'm not really sure what I'm looking for. I just found this tool, and I want to come in the door. And as I walk in, is there a series of questions, or are there things that help me understand where I might be best suited for? Or is it just like a chat room where I've got a list of, um, different topics or different groups and tribes that I could potentially join? When you join, we walk you through an onboarding process. I fill out your profile. Um, you can take a tour. There's a, a tour of the platform. Um, and, and anybody can jo go and join right now. You go to tribalapp.com um, and, and, and just be an early adopter. Uh, but when you get in there, you'll see that you will automatically be entered into the first 5,000 group. So this is our, our, it's a hidden group in there for our first 5,000. Um, and you will also see tribal originals content in your newsfeed. And uh, you'll hopefully realize that it's feels good, feels different, hopefully feels welcoming. Um, and then over, t uh, we are currently implementing a course where people can um, level up their, uh, get their tribal certification uh, when they take the course and understand what is tribal, what makes it necessary, why is it different, how does it apply to my life, and how can I, con how can I con uh, contribute? Um, and so it, it's, it's kind of slow-paced. It's not, it's kind of different, you know, we're like, hey, come on in, relax, it's okay. How do you guys receive revenue and be able to operate and provide these types of services? Well, the first X amount of people, several thousand, <laughs> are free for life. Uh, we're not committing to the, the certain, the exact number, whatever it is, but all early adopters in are free for life. Um, after that, uh, when building a tech platform, which would be a whole other podcast, it's a lot of fun, though, a lot uh, to dive into that particular field. Uh, there's something called the flywheel, or, you know, when you're getting. Um, to the viral growth or product-led growth um, in the platform, 
when we get the flywheel going to a certain point and there's enough value uh, for the consumers, it's this producer-consumer um, model, uh, the, the revenue will be simple. It's $3 a month. I mean, a lot of people spend $20 a month on um, gym dues that they never go and tend the gym for or $3 for a cup of coffee. So Yeah. I mean, $3 a month to have a positive platform to connect with your tribe, to to have uh, exclusive content and a curated, you know, news feed from our partners. And, and I mean, $3 a month to, to take a deep breath and, and find hope. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, some people might have a heart. Oh, why would I pay for that? You know, Facebook's free. I'm like, okay, but you get what you pay for. So, well, you're paying in another way when you use the conventional platforms or you use Google, if you paid a monthly fee for Google, then they wouldn't sell your information. They wouldn't collect information from your devices right. because they wouldn't have to, but they have to make that revenue up somewhere. So, you know, people complain a lot. They say they're all the problems you have with the free platforms, um, especially when it comes to privacy. Because, because and nothing's free. It's a, yeah, it's not free. That's, that's what you're paying for is you're paying, you're paying with your data and your information. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. And then they get so outraged and, you know, it gives these big platforms so much power. Yep. And so paying, paying a, a very, very reasonable, I mean, that's a nominal fee to have just that protection is right. worth it. You well, know, I mean, if Google for three bucks a month, four bucks a month would be a steal of a deal right <laughs> instead you're giving them much much more um access to to things that you know corporations probably should not have access to again that's probably another podcast it is another podcast. itself but <laughs> to kind of put it in perspective that's a that's a deal that's a, should, a steal of a deal we should do another spin-off podcast series. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, no yeah. there's, there's a saying out there it says if you're not paying for the product then you are the product yeah. And so, I mean, I, I respect the fact that you're charging because I'm the first one to state that when, you know, you, there's a lot of nonprofits out there, but everybody thinks that that's the ticket, you know, because then people will support it. But the problem is there's donor fatigue. And so there's so many nonprofits performing the same mission, like we talked about earlier, trying to rid 22 veterans uh, committing suicide a day. And we still haven't solved the problem because creating programs like that or those types of things is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that nobody has it figured out and we haven't worked on it in a way in which you're looking at it from more, um, you know, using psychology and, and everything, trying to attack it from a different avenue. Uh, well, think of, yeah, think about those, those 50 to 80,000 nonprofits though. Yeah. Um, and there are, there are some really good ones, yeah. some really good services out there. You know, here's the thing is they go underutilized. They go underseen. They, they cannot compete on Facebook. When I hear, you know, nonprofits saying we just need a better social media strategy, I'm like, no, you're, it, doesn't, it doesn't connect. You, we have to get outside of the box. And so, honestly, Tribal is the perfect platform for those nonprofits to come in and share stories of hope. And they're practical resources for help and to serve as the on-ramps to get them into those hyper-local community resources, which oftentimes are those local nonprofits or, you know, uh, local chapters of the nonprofits. Um, so it's what, what we tell um, those kinds of impact organizations and impact leaders is, is we exist to help multiply your impact. Tribal doesn't have the answers. We do not. Like, Tribal is a platform. Mm. We're the connecting tissue. We're not the service providers. So the the nonprofits play a big role in this. The different 
storytellers, the different leaders, the the people with wisdom, they're so important. And tribal exists to help make them successful, to help make them heard, to help them connect with the people that they can reach and help and, and, and do so in a compelling manner. Um, because honestly, a veteran, a soldier, a military person, a, a, a corporate person, whoever, you know, they, they don't want to be on something that's depressing. They want to be on something that's fun and engaging and uplifting. And, and we just happen to, to be building that platform. Well, and useful. It sounds like this is useful. That's the problem I find with Instagram is like, or any of them, like you can get a message out there. Sure. But what's the use? Right. <laughs> scroll through the feed and it's like, I'm just moving my thumb and <laughs> putting just... stuff in front of my eyeballs. And, you know, you can find like the, the pearls amongst the swine or whatever you want to call it. Right. And there's some good stuff out there and you can have access to some things, but more and more, I'm like, what is this? What is the purpose? Well, there's a saying we have here at Tribal is, um, we say tribal is a meaning network. So as opposed to social networks where people go to check out, tribals where people come to check in. We want people to connect. Well, I, I think that's great because when you talk about earlier, you mentioned, you know, about um, whatever you put out there or whatever you're thinking is what you're going to get back in return because that's what you're really focused on. We've said it multiple times on this show that, um, the five people you surround yourself with are going to make a difference in your life. And so what you're trying to do too is connect them with like-minded people and individuals who have more of a positive approach to things that could potentially lead to not necessarily that's the platform for it, but certainly could lead to other networking opportunities and ways in which they get personal and professional growth. Right. Yeah. And those five people would be their tribe. I also say don't take advice from somebody who hasn't been where you want to be. It's another one. <laughs> you didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night? No. Uh, yeah, but I, I, I hardly agree. And I think that you're asking them to take a leap of faith to come into a platform that's, they're going to, like you said, think of it as very similar to the platforms that currently exist. But at the same token, within this show, you try to describe how it's very different and that you're trying to change the narrative from a negative to a positive and um, I, I think that's that's where we need to head. You know, as a society overall, we need to find more commonality. Uh, I, I think I've shared this story before, but there was a show on National Geographic, Net Geo one time that uh, my wife and I found fascinating that it started off just being one of these shows about DNA and these people got these packets in the mail and it showed where they were from and what their you know nationality was and stuff based on their information of their DNA that was collected and used and put within this application. I think it was actually um, Ancestry.com that supported this and Nat Geo. At any rate, um, what they asked them to do was arrive at a certain location carrying that documentation and to plant their feet on the soil of the country by which it states that they have, that, I think, the greatest uh, percentage of DNA from. And they did that. And then they migrated them based on wherever they were until finally they ended at the same point. And everybody was shocked that they all came to the same point, which meant we are all more alike than we are not. And we all carry 99 point whatever percentage it is of the same DNA. But yet somehow we always focus and try to find the negative aspects in our differences. Because that's what makes money. 
It's yeah. <laughs> so I'm not preaching. I'm just saying that what you're trying to do is do the, some of the same thing is find commonality, find common ground, put people into a location and a space and a platform by which they could focus more on that. Exactly. Yeah. And you'll be so much happier. <laughs> life is life is good, people. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard, but it's good. And if you keep waiting for for circumstances to change or, you know, the coronavirus to go away or whatever it is, you know, like it won't ever be good enough. You you got to find the the joy and the hard and and I think that comes through your tribe. Rachel, I appreciate you coming on the show and talking about this. And again, not only just your journey, but it tells the story of what led to your purpose and passion that you're doing now. And 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 I think in a lot of ways, you're not just, um, you know, coming on here, sharing it as a way to give back to our veteran community, but you're also doing it just to the greater good of all mankind. You know, get let, let's change everything and get back to the ground roots of what we, you know, where we started, but use Look, it through a platform yeah. maybe to do that. I, I encourage all veterans, all all active duty, I mean, to the extent that you can, like, let's rebrand what it means to be a veteran. Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of causes out there that support the veteran, and, you sh- and, and there should be. I mean, I, I love the veteran, and I know that there's some who are on hard times, but there's also a lot of really amazing leaders and a lot of amazing men and women who have put it all on the line and are in a position in, in, in the kind of people that we need to help lead this country forward, you know? Um, and so I say, let's just, let's just do it. Let's just execute. We don't, we don't need to, to talk about it anymore. Let's just do it. 